Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse for this, the second instalment in a series of special Golf Monthly Top 100 Course Rankings podcasts. My name is Mike Harris, I'm editor of Golf Monthly and I'm joined by uh, my fellow senior panellists, uh, Jeremy Elwood and Rob Smith. Hello. Uh, hello boys. Good morning. Played, good morning. In, played you in anywhere good recently? Um, me? I've played my home club once this year. It's been okay. a, a lean time the early part of 2016 for various reasons, travel and work and weather and all sorts, but I did return a creditable 35 points and made a few bobs so oh, tremendous promising start but no top 100 courses yet this year for have, me have you got any lined up in the not too distant future uh i'm going in uh april i'll be going over to northern ireland i'll get the chance to play royal county down for the third time uh, and then i'm coming back across later in april going up to northumberland playing Gosick, which mm-hmm. is not actually in our top 100 but on the contender it's list contender, isn't it? absolutely uh, and then going up to east lothian but this time rather than playing all the kind of well-known courses in east lothian i'm going a little bit off piste and playing some of the lesser known tracks up there i think it's interesting because we talked um last time in the first podcast have a listen to that if you haven't listened to it already um do we sort of say it's really important for us not to just be playing all the trophy courses all their premier courses all the time the more courses um, we play that are not top 100, not even next 100, the better, I think, appreciation we feel we're able to develop for courses that are, you know, great and, des- you know, deserve their inclusion in, in the top 100. Rob, have you played played anywhere recently that really stands out? Well, it's been the wettest winter I can remember for this, which has been very frustrating, so I've been more uh, confined to quarters than ever, but I've just finished preparing a uh, Middlesex golfer's guide, and that's taken me to two or three that I'd not been to before, uh, and I just last, uh, three days ago I played at, at Cruise Hill, which is a lovely Harry Colt course, suffered through the winter because it's so wet and the London clay is so difficult, but I really enjoyed it. There's a terrific set of holes from 10 round to 13, and it's a, a very pleasant place to play. I'm also upping my uh, top 100 uh, visits uh, in the next little while. I'm off to uh, to Wales for a couple of trips uh, this year. I'm going to the south coast uh, next month to, to play down in a couple of uh, contenders at Tenby and Mackinnis. Mm-hmm. And then in, in June, I'm going to the west coast uh, where I will play, amongst others, Abu Dhabi and Royal St. David's, where I understand oh. they've, they've um, made some significant changes. So uh, I've got uh, games at Walton and Royal St. George's lined up, so, so plenty to look forward to. Mm, very impressive, very impressive impressive indeed i've managed to play three top 100 courses so far this year uh mm-hmm. game at Liphook, which i know is a favorite of all of ours yep. um they've done an enormous amount of good work over the last few years and in fact have got more good work on the um or interesting work on the horizon they're coming up to their centenary soon they've got some ambitious projects that jez and i went to hear about mm. before christmas better keep mum on some of those but <laughs> it's only i think going to improve what is already a, a really great heathland track i was then lucky enough to um, nip in for a game at royal liverpool where i'm a country member uh, and what was interesting to see there that was in sort of february um that despite the really wet weather that we have had and the and that you know west side of the country really had it hard the course was in fantastic conditions the greens were were outstanding Interestingly, there was water in quite a lot of the bunkers and the guys up, up at the club had said, you know, they really had had a lot of water in the bunkers, but that'll dissipate soon and looks like it's going to be in, in, in Great Nick. And then um, last week I was lucky enough to play the new course at Sunningdale. That was in a uh, Golf Writers Against the Golf Foundation match. 
Um, every but every other match that the golf writers played, there was so five games were one comprehensively. The one that I played in, uh, we lost. So, um, but I enjoyed it. How can you not enjoy a, a day out at Sunningdale? So, and that would say was a new course, um, which interestingly, um, we first we were the first rankings to put the new above the old, and I think <coughs> at the time that was sort of seen as sacrilege. Um, you know, how can you not think that the old course at Sunningdale is the better of the two but interestingly a lot of rankings have, have sort of followed suit over mm. the uh, over the years I don't know what you guys think about that old versus new debate at Sunnydale I I, th- I think I've played both courses maybe two or three times mm. I would have the new higher as we do mm. um, is it not easy to particularly quantify why but there is one particularly memorable stretch of holes for me which is that that fantastic par three is it the fifth, fifth maybe? yeah and then the par five after that just yeah. is I, I find that one of the most incredible um heathland holes visually anywhere sweeping round and up to the right chance to go for it if you're feeling brave but trouble all around the green if you miss cue um those two holes stand out for me um there's a lot of great holes it's a tough call isn't it mm. but um I, I would go with us on that one uh, and the good thing, of course, at Sunnydale is whether you play the old or the new, you get to go to the halfway hut and have a sausage sandwich. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Which is always a highlight, certainly for me anyway. Absolutely. I, I, it's a difficult one to call that, I think, because the old has uh, some terrific atmosphere there too and some, some real charm. I think they are both absolutely fabulous and I'd very happily be non-committal and say that I would adore around uh, on either course. You could play badly equally on both of them. Indeed. I can lose balls in the trees to the right of either courses <laughs> and if you're really lucky you'll get to hear Brian Blessed shouting for his dog in the woods because uh, I believe he's a, a regular dog or walker dog walker around the uh, the premises there gosh didn't know that That's, ah, there you go there you go <laughs> excellent I can imagine what Brian Blessed calling for his dog yeah it's not quiet it's not quiet no I imagine <laughs> not at the top of your back Brian not at the top of my backswing please <laughs> Anyway, we digress. Uh, last time we talked about why everybody loves uh, golf course rankings or why um, they generate so much debate. I wouldn't necessarily say everybody loves them, um, but they certainly generate a, a lot of debate and conjecture. Um, and we obviously looked at our own rankings, looked a little bit about how they'd evolved. And um, they started back in 2004. I think we were Golf Monthly, even though we're the UK's, uh, or in fact the world's oldest, golf publication still still um publishing uh we were a little bit late to the uh, the party when it came to top 100 rankings i think that our predecessors perhaps seen what other uh magazines had done and wanted a slice of the action so in in 2004 we debuted the golf monthly not top 100 but top 120 um which looking back on it i guess was done as a point of difference um I think it just made things a little bit more um, difficult to, to get your head around. I think you're, you're either a top 100 or you're not a top 100. So uh, when we changed that, and I think that was, was that four years into the process, we went it, back to 100? It, it ran for two, two um, publications biennially. So, yeah, yep. 2008 would have been our first top 100. Yeah, and of course that meant there then were 20 very disappointed <laughs> golf courses with sort of certificates uh, extolling their place in the top 120 that were uh, fundamentally redundant. Um, and I think we probably all, you know, as journalists, you have to acknowledge sometimes you get it right, sometimes you don't always get it right. And, and that first set of rankings, I think the intention was great. We really, 
as a magazine, Golf Monthly wanted it to be more about a golfer's perspective rather than that sort of experts in inverted commas perspective. So um, that was a good thing. I know they introduced a reader, had a reader panel. So again, golfers who'd played a lot of golf um, were able to sort of comment on uh, on golf courses, um, had their sort of views go forward. But um, looking back as we are, here we've got that issue in front of us. There are some some fairly major sort of anomalies, I suppose we would sort of say now. Do you want to um, do you want to have a, a, a nomination for a well, few that sort of seem a little bit out of place? Though? I'll start with one, and then Rob can maybe. Um, I, I think part of the problem with it was that a lot of these courses caught the eye because they were, you know, particularly in Ireland, they were hosting the Irish Open, mm. so they were the courses that people knew about in Ireland. Um, and looking at this Killarney's Killeen course in a 38 Oof. in our first rankings, uh, it's, it's now actually... Uh, Rob and I both went there. Rob had been before. We went there a couple of years ago. And look, there's no denying the setting is absolutely glorious. The first four holes, the views are magnificent. But after that, um, it just doesn't live up to the... Mm to the, the hype and the, the standard that's set over those first few holes. Apologies to anyone from Killarney listening to this. So, uh, you know, whatever you think of it, wherever you think it should be, I'm not sure anyone would have really probably ever suggested it was a top 40 golf course in the UK and Ireland, personally. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's one for me that, that stands out, partly because I have now finally gone and, and, and played it for myself and come away feeling lovely, but not quite. Mm. I think that's a very valid point because I think the big names were there uh, were had become big names very often because they held a tour event, say. So, mm. for example, Saint-Pierre, which used to stage mm. events on the European Tour, was in the top 120. Now, I have not played it um, in many years, but to be fair, it's not really... A, I can see why it's not in our top 100, let's mm. say that. Uh, it's a perfectly decent course. It's a hotel course. It's got t- some, several lovely holes. But really, the, 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 the criteria that we had at the time were really ill-defined. So it was more on reputation, perhaps, than on, on uh, anything too concrete. So um, we had spent a lot of time over the last few years putting into place a, a set of criteria that we, we now feel are, are trusted. And we, we haven't just done this... Um, in isolation, we've spoken to managers, we've spoken to architects, we've spoken to uh, people in the industry, we've spoken to, most importantly, to golfers to see what matters to them. Mm. And we now have a, a set of criteria that, w- that are published on our website, which we feel are, are widely trusted and give us a, a framework in which we can look at the golf courses. Um, and now uh, we believe that the, the rankings are far more robust and, and sound than, than they have ever been. Mm. I tell you what, Rob, give me the top ten from that first... Um you can, you can count down from 10 to 1 or you can go from well, 1 to 10. Okay, well, well 10 is interesting because uh, it's a glorious course, but it's Swinley Forest, very private, uh, and they're currently upgrading that a bit mm. too, but um, maybe that's a little bit high for it. Nine Lytham, and of course, since since 2004, um, Hawtrey's done some work and so on, so that's that. But eight was Birkdale, seven was Glen Eagles Kings, very Ooh. high for that, I'd, I'd say. Great great course, but... Absolutely. Yeah. Not uh, a, a beautiful not place to play golf, but is it really one of the top 10? Maybe a case of reputation there being well um, I think you have to remember at the time it was you know it wasn't a lot earlier than that that it was hosting the Scottish Open every mm. year was it so it was really fresh in the memory through the 90s and what happened it was on TV constantly with around with Alice that kind of thing Ryder Cup sort of stuff Um, and we all do love the King's Course at Glen Eagles absolutely but number 7 or 8 or whatever Mm. probably not quite 6 was Ballybunion Old um, 
Uh, five was Waterville, and again, a lot of work has been done there since then, um, but perhaps high. Uh, and the top four have kind of really dominated mm. and not changed hugely. They, they sort of jostled for position. Four was Muirfield. Uh, three was Turnbury, uh, two was County Down, and uh, the, our, our very first one was the old course at St Andrews. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because you would f- find um, now that there would be people who would rank those four courses in the, in in that order, and equally, um, you would find people who would you know would flip it around and say Turnbury was their favourites at spectacular scenery, or County Down again, even more spectacular. And it's sort of difficult to split County Down and Turnbury in terms mm. of spe- spectacular and, um, and and Muirfield as well. You know, fantastic condition. We have that at number one, have done for the last, I think it's three, possibly four sets of rankings. So not a lot changing there, but I- interesting, some um, some sort of more left field ones, I guess, or um, ones that no longer feature that highly um, mm. in the top ten. I also remember... Um, us getting some pretty fearful criticism for the position of Dorna. And I know, <laughs> Jez, in the first podcast, we talked that you know about the sort of Dorna didn't quite do it to the level uh, for you that perhaps it does for to, to Robert for Rob and I. But um, I'm not sure what position it was. Fifty something, wasn't it, Dorna? I'm just trying to find it. Uh, I was just glancing at a few others there in the fifties that all very fine links courses. Um, uh, Seaton Carew and oh. Macri were both in the 50s. They no longer feature. Um, and I have played both of them. And I can, you know, I think the Macri's had a lot of work actually mm. still ongoing at the moment. So it's gone through a lot of change. I'm still struggling, struggling to locate uh, Royal Dornock. So we'll t- talk amongst yourselves for a moment. <laughs> t- tell me that we did, ha- we did have it in there. <laughs> uh, that, that really would have been a pretty glaring omission, I think, ha- ha- had we not. But no, it's interesting that obviously say you know courses have you know sort of come and gone and you look at all of the rankings whether it's ours or uh, golf world golf digest um and i think certain courses come in and out of fashion don't they say you know definitely having the spotlight on them from tour events or you know sort of rider cups um can sort of help bump up your um i think it can um, particularly the not just staging the event but when there's the the drama or emotion around it too so mm. for example the k club uh incredibly dramatic rider cup and a very emotional with the darren clark mm. situation as well um we had that very high up in in the rankings mm. um at the time probably on the back of that yeah. to a large degree in, in 2006 um and it's kind of slipped down a bit but rightly so it's not it's not that it's got worse it's just that we've understood the process better and realized that as lovely a course as, as it is there are some others that are perhaps better mm. i think i think as well that when a um a venue golf course hosts a top tournament that then does create expectation and a desire from golfers to go and walk in the footsteps of you know of tiger or um you know whoever you know rider cups they want to you know go and play so whether it's the belfry whether it's celtic manor uh glen eagles k club they want to go there and play and sort of feel like of course one of the you know, great things about golf in this country that there are very, very few courses you can't go and play. So, if you've seen, you've been inspired by Todd Hamilton holding out at, at <laughs> Roll Troon. You want to follow in with in a hybrid Todd, club. With a hybrid club, um, you could follow in his footsteps and, and do that. Yeah, um, and I think that you know, that's right. Actually, that our our ranking should acknowledge 
the anticipation, the excitement of wanting to go and play at a, uh, at a course you've seen something, you know, history unfold on. Well, I think so. Uh, again, in other sports, you, you really don't get that. Yes, occasionally there are amateurs who get to play at Wembley or at Lords, but it, it's really uh, impossible for the vast majority. Whereas in golf, where there's a will, there's a way, and you can, by and large, and sometimes, it, unfortunately, it does depend on a, a hefty green fee, mm. but you can get to play our very, very finest courses. It's interesting. I have found Royal Dornock. 56. 56. You know, Royal Dornock was 56. 12 years later, it's number eight. Yeah. One place below Royal Dornock in that initial ranking, Macri. Lovely course on Isla there. Mm. Um, Great place for anyone who's a lover of whiskey. With distilleries galore. Macri no longer in the top 100. I think maybe in our second 100. I can't remember. Mm. Uh, But a lot of work going on there at the moment. So you never know. It It might force its way back in. But one has gone... 40, 50 places up and the other has gone 50 places down and, and just looking at this list here another classic example of that would be Hanbury Manor which you know is a nice golf course yeah, nice resort course isn't nice it nice resort course it was 107 so it wasn't quite in the top yeah. 100 but uh, is it a top 100 course probably not but it no. had the English Open there didn't it yeah absolutely so this is kind of what we're saying about some of this earlier uh, some of these earlier rankings were perhaps influenced a little bit too much by the tour schedule perhaps mm. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, that volatility that, um, you know, perhaps people criticised us for in some of those early sets of rankings, that was, I guess, inevitable when you've got a course like Dornoch, you know, really so far out of position in the 50s that um, when you come in and you look at it and you look to make improvements to the rankings, you have to just say, do you know what, we got it wrong, we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to elevate a club. It's not suddenly put in you know 18 new holes or you know (laughs) built a new clubhouse um but i think acknowledging the fact that we you know in previous rankings you know have got things wrong you then have to either elevate or demote courses uh, accordingly you do but uh, having again worked on it so hard over the years both in terms of of, of, of getting a good and trusted panel of people who've regularly visited the course courses and of course getting the criteria themselves widely understood and appreciated we've now kind of shot ourselves in the foot slightly because we've we've got a strong uh, top 100 mm. order that's actually very difficult to change in now yeah. uh, it's the clubs who are investing heavily um, and sometimes they you know, they don't always do it right sometimes they make mistakes in, in what they're doing um, but it's the clubs who are investing heavily sometimes they're investing heavily to stay where they are and yeah. we're frequently approached by by clubs saying how do I get my course into into the top 100 and and we have to say well look very carefully at what's there at the moment and try and be as objective as you can about whether or not you could possibly overtake them because it's strong they're very Mm. very strong yeah and actually you're you're right that sort of actually the volatility is something which um you know can almost be an asset because it creates talking points doesn't it if you know you've got a course suddenly shoots up you know 10 20 places we get a very high new entry as i know um, Castle Stewart benefited from when when that first came onto the radar, and also Trump as well. That um, they're, they're, they're few and far between, though these new developments that are right up at the top end. So um, you almost sort of feel sometimes if there are really big movements, they're almost manufactured, and that's as you say why you know we haven't had a lot of big yeah. moves. I don't know what the biggest climber was last year, Jay. Well, I'm just looking down the list here. Um, and it, within the top 75, the biggest climb is is eight places. Um, and who is that? And that was Moortown. Okay. And Moortown, for anyone that's played it recently, has done an awful lot of work. Awful um, lot of work. Like many of these Heathland courses, 
clearing things out, trying to restore it a little bit more to its original heathland nature. So mm. for those who love trees, it's perhaps not a you know yeah. not a pleasant prospect knowing that trees have come out. But when you look at photos of these places when they were first built, you know my home, my old home club at Crobra, you couldn't see a tree on the no. whole whole plot so the heathland has evolved into more of a woodland mm -hmm. in a lot of places and a lot of courses now do want to take it back to true heathland but in terms of volatility you know we had only three or four clubs that went down by 10 places or more and when you look at who they were th there are good reasons for that for all of them have, have you got an example well an example lock urn um a very very nice course which yeah. i played twice and really enjoyed nick faldo's course uh, out there in um in Northern Ireland, isn't it, right on the mm. borders? Um, uh, but it did go into administration a few years ago, so perhaps hadn't had quite the investment that it had in the early years. And uh, I think when we played it, did I play with you? Yep. Um, you know, the, the clientele wasn't the ultra-exclusive market mm. that it was originally aimed at, and as a result, you could see that maybe it wasn't quite as tight around the edges as when it first opened. Mm. And that's the thing, when you set yourself a very high standard, that's the thing that our rankings do acknowledge. You need to keep on batting at that standard. It's, you can't rest on your laurels. And, um, you yeah, know, if all is. the tee boxes are cut to perfection and, and then go back two years later and they're not, then... Yep. Mm. It's, it's improve. You have to improve to stand still in the rankings. And, and again, going back to the volatility, we only had four new entries last time, of which two were new clubs, effectively. So Trump came in very high up and Close House made its way in. Uh, the other two were, were ones, uh, was it? Um, it was Parkstone. Parkstone and Countess Parkstone, Parkstone have, are undergoing, still undergoing, and have almost finished a, a very good mm. upgrade to their cult course. Um, and uh, County Sligo have done a, a fair bit of work too. So the, you've this been banging the drum for County Sligo for a, a while, hadn't you? It's a stunning place. Would be, would be fair mm. to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I would say there's one or two weak holes. It, it, the start is not that wonderful, mm. but once you get away and over the brow of the hill, it's just a glorious place to be. Mm. Um, so only four new entries, and it, it's going to be very interesting when we get to later on this year to see who will. Mm. Force it, uh, force their way in. Interesting one. I mean, looking at Parkstone there, and obviously the, there's a battle for supremacy in Dorset. And you always used to feel that Ferndown uh, was quite high in some rankings because Peter Alice used to mention mm. it with every other breath back in the commentary in the 1980s. I've played it a couple of times, and it's lovely, but I'd never quite seen it as a top 100 course. They too have been doing a lot of work, and I'm down there at the end of May. Uh, playing with the secretary there in an invitational event, so I'm going to get a good look at what they've been up to, and we'll report back to the panel. Yeah, I think again, th that is really interesting. That um, I'd say that, that there's a club fund, and I played the course a few times. Again, really like it. I think it's some great holes there. For me, it just didn't quite merit inclusion, but I know that they've got a real focus on you know sort of work on the course. They brought in uh, it's Murray Long, isn't it? Mm. Who, who was at Sunningdale? Um, a, a, you know, very, very, very highly respected, uh, you know, sort of course manager to to advise on, on work that could be done there. So it'll be really interesting to see how they fare, certainly when uh, when you visit. And Broadstone uh, too, talking about yeah. little triumvirate down there. Yeah. Um, they've had Frank Pont down making some changes to, to sort of cultify it a bit more. Uh, and the, the three of them are all heading in the right direction. Mm, well, I'll be playing Broadstone the following day. So that'll be my first time ever at Broadstone. So. I think that's interesting being able to sort of play courses back to back who, you know, w would have a, you know, they put themselves in a similar bracket to their mm. neighbours and you can, you know. Yeah. 
th- th- there is no better direct comparison. Yeah, no better and, comparison. And played Parkstone within the last year mm. as well, so you know, not quite all in one hit, but yeah. there's a, a reasonably together comparison of all three courses vying for top spot down in Dorset. Absolutely. So, so, so whilst we perhaps put the <coughs> excuse me the, the boot into our <laughs> our first rankings, I think one of the things that the uh, original creators of the of, of the golf monthly top 120 should be applauded for was that focus on using golfers to uh, rather than experts to sort of determine determine the rankings rob why have we decided to sort of keep that going why have we decided to focus on the average golfer rather than the expert be they a, an elite golfer and an elite amateur or a tour pro or an architect or somebody from a governing body that that are sort of canvassed for opinions in other rankings well i think the whole ethos behind golf monthly is it's for the club golfer it's for the the handicap golfer um which makes up the vast majority of the golfing mm. population, of course. So we want to please them, and we are them. We, mm. it's, it's being selfish, if you like. We are looking at the rankings from the perspective of amateur club golfers, handicapped golfers. Um, it, 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 and it, it's worked, too, because it keeps the clubs on their toes. It's um, brought people to, to clubs that they wouldn't normally go and see. Um, and the experts do look for things that perhaps we don't look for i think the the you know even around this table uh, i'm not the the best golfer so i kind of look at things slightly differently from the single finger handicap player mm-hmm. now the vast majority of golfers are not single finger handicaps mm. so i think that by concentrating on let's say the average golfer i think that's a very fair thing to do but it doesn't in any way discount the good golfers you know we we, we look at the, their feedback too and then many of our panel are extremely good golfers mm. as well but I think by keeping it for the amateur, for the club golfer, it's entirely the right thing to do because that's what 99% of the play on any of these courses is all about. Mm. I think uh, an interesting point on that is, and uh, talking about other rankings, won't name any names, but mm. they have people on there who are experts, if you like, who may not have played that course for 20, 25 yeah. years. But just are basing it on the history before that and hearsay. Reputation. Uh, reputation yeah. and... You know, things change a lot in 25 years in the in the golf course world. Some go up, some mm. go down, and I think a lot of courses have retained positions that perhaps, you know, especially when you factor in in our top 100, there's probably 25, 30 courses that were built after 1975. I don't know. So, and great courses, all of them as well, have come in, which means some of those old clubs that traditionally might have been top 100 clubs have just been elbowed aside because the game has been upped a bit by those coming in. Yeah, and Jez, you obviously, you, you know a number of the architects from having spoken mm. at, at golf course um, forums um, and seminars. So what sort of things do you think they're looking for that perhaps we don't look for? Is it that sort of real intricacy of design? I think it's the intricacy of design. Um, I think they are, a lot of them are trying to create holes that, um, what was it Bobby Jones? Was it Bobby Jones said? You know, he wants a hole that's... Uh, an easy bogey, but a Hard tough par. par. Yeah. Was it Bobby Jones? Yeah. I think so. I think a lot of them are coming from that angle. You've got to make it challenging, but not too challenging. You know, if you play the hole badly, you might come away with a bogey. Mm. If you happen to play that hole well, you come away with a par. I think the, I think a lot of them, certainly these days, are steering away from sort of tricked-up golf holes mm. that might look fantastic, but are actually almost impossible to play. Yeah, absolutely. I always think it's... You know, we certainly don't discount the views of uh, of experts. I mean, we're always listening, we're always taking that feedback mm. from from architects, listening to 
I think it's always interesting to ask tour pros what are their favourite courses as well. But um, you know, I think that they, they tend to look at it through, as you say, Rob, very different eyes to the to the ordinary golfer. Most certainly, I, I think that um, uh, they. They will be looking the the, the pro golfers certainly mm. at the test of golf almost mm. entirely. I mean, if you watched the the golf this weekend at Doral um, mm. or Doral, um, <laughs> there's water everywhere, yeah. and actually as a spectacle on on the TV, it wasn't that good. I thought yeah. it's that's how it's been tricked up, to, but to make it a proper championship course, so it's absolutely target golf. Um, I would imagine the vast majority of, of mortal golfers will lose a dozen balls around there because it's just so wet everywhere. Um, that's not what we all want. I think that what we want is somewhere that is playable, enjoyable, will reward good shots, but not overly punish two mm. shots that are too bad. Well, yeah. if you're in the water, you know, every time but, you're in, that's two shots gone, isn't it, effectively? Yeah. Um, if you, you know, sort not quite for any rules experts out there, yeah. but it is yeah. effectively two shots gone most times. Uh, and of course, so we use the reader panel, uh, and Rob, tell us a little bit about the process they would go through when when they go and make a visit. Well, um, w- the, the set of criteria, uh, uh, as, I, as I've said earlier, have, have been refined over the years and, and are now sort of divided into sort of five main chunks, and they're weighted. Um, so what the, the panellists will be looking for primarily will be the design of the golf course itself, the shaping of the golf course and the test of golf. So if he's examined on using all the clubs in the bag, whether he has to play different types of shots, whether he will be challenged, you know, it mustn't be easy. Mm-hmm. Um, we then look at condition and presentation. So, um, and w- w- What does that mean? Does that mean everything's got to be immaculate? It doesn't mean everything has to be immaculate. And as we said before, you know, people have to play these courses year round. And whereas you hear stories of Wentworth West being in great condition for two Mm. weeks of the year for the PGA and as was the match play, um, they don't have to be in great condition. They don't even have to look great. The trouble is too many golfers are influenced by TV. So they see Augusta and they think it needs to be green. It doesn't need to be green. It needs to play well. So it's the the, needs to be appropriate, the conditioning. Is that that a better way of? I think that's absolutely spot on. And it needs to feel right. So it's it's the quality of the turf. But again, that will vary over the year. Now, after the winter we've had, I would think there'll be many clubs. I mean, I think it was probably Royal St. Davies were closed for many weeks with uh, with the flooding there Mm. on the West Coast over there. And so many Club. And, and if they've had seawater going in there, they may have, yep. as they had at St. Ports a few years ago, some, some real issues, tra- yeah. issues to, to repair. So we look at the condition presentation because it's all very well having a, a, the right test of golf, but you know you need to be able to play shots that are rewarded. You have to have greens that are true. You have to have bunkers that are consistent and fair and so on. And something that's a particular favourite now is, is visual appeal too. It's all very well having a great golf course playing nicely, but you want to look around and enjoy your round too. Absolutely. So it's the visual appeal both of the course itself, which of course is defined very often by its design, but also of what's, what's around it too. So will you enjoy you know, sniffing the flowers on the way and so on? And then far, far less important, but still to be taken into consideration are, are the facilities and the overall experience. So, you know, what was the day like? Um, what were what the practice facilities like? What was the welcome like? Um, did you enjoy your lunch? Did they have a nice pint of beer? Yeah. Those kind of things, they're far less important. But we are looking about the whole experience because you don't only go to a golf club to, to play golf. You go there for the experience. And you want to drive home thinking, I enjoyed the experience. I think that's an interesting point and certainly one that always gets raised whenever we uh, release a new set of rankings that... People would say, "Well, hold on, it's not. You shouldn't call them course rankings. They should be experience rankings." There are some people, aren't there, Jez, who think that really it's only about 
when you step onto the first team when you step off the the 18th green why why do we not share that view if you like well when i go unless i'm on a real whistle stop mm. tour i want to actually savor the whole you know sometimes longer trips with a bit more space so yeah. you could actually do that a little bit more you you don't just want to play the golf it's what does it feel like just mm. sitting there on the patio watching other people play after their round what does it feel like to sit there and look at the view or whatever whatever might be on offer are the changing rooms up to the standard of the, you know i remember going and i haven't been for a long time to waterville mm. a few years ago in the course it's fantastic the clubhouse and changing rooms were probably 20 years past their sell by date right. in terms of decor yeah no you know sorry i don't i don't know what it's like now because i've not yep. been for a while but i wouldn't say it soured the experience yeah. but it definitely tainted the experience in that you know, course of this, this magnificence should have a slightly. Is that a better, word? I think so. Yeah. yeah. C E at the end. Yeah. Okay. Um, should have a uh, a slightly better off course experience to go with it. Sure. Um, but it's, it's the detail, isn't it? It is the detail, but I think it's important to remember the golf does come first. That's why we weight these things. That's why quality of the, the test and design and the condition really are the majority uh, uh, of what we look at. Oh, and, and we do allocate. We ask panelists to to put a mark out of how many, Rob? Well, for for the. the Design and test, it's 30. The whole things add up to 100, so you can yep. get 100%. It's 35 for design and test, 30 for condition and presentation, 15 for the visual appeal, and 10 each for facilities and the experience. Mm -hmm. So, um, and we look at that carefully, but we do. And that, also, that has changed over time, hasn't it? We've well, it sort has. of, yeah. I think that's important too. We, we've listened to the feedback because going back to, to your uh, question just now about why. Uh, why are you looking at the whole experience? It's, it's it's about fashions, about what people want. We listen to our readers, and we want to produce um, a set of rankings that really match what they're looking for so that they can go to these places and really trust them. So mm. if this is what they want, uh, and, and we agree with them, mm. this is what we give them. It's interesting because the, the visual appeal versus quality of test and design, you know, if you play somewhere like Carnoustie, no one could ever really argue that the, the visuals on the course's boundary are particularly no. aesthetically pleasing so it may not score so well on that which is a less weighted category yeah. but they would also say in the same breath as a golf course and a, a strategic test yeah. it, it takes some beating there are a few so it scores so highly on quality of test and design that it can absorb yeah. a lower mark for visual appeal yeah absolutely and I think that it, it is all about that um, you know sort of taking many things into consideration it's also Rob it's not about we don't just add up all the marks from all the panellists and then put them together. There's obviously a benchmarking process. There's a moderation process Well, that, as well. That, that is very important too. We, we've, over the years, we've got to know our panellists. And even though the panel evolves, which is only natural from time to time, we get new people coming on and, and people leaving and so on, um, we get to understand and know these people quite well. So we look very carefully at what they say about them. So um, as I've written about before, somebody putting um, 25 out of 35 um, might be their definition of superb somebody else might say that needs to be 33 out of 35 so we do a kind of a balancing process so that we take into account who's been there um and and look very carefully what they said you know even to the extent we will contact them by email give them a call and get them to clarify mm. things so that we we make sure that we we even things out and the uh, particularly enthusiastic uh, puppy dog um assessor his views don't overweigh those of the glass half empty chap yeah, I think that's I think that's very important because, you know, ask anybody to mark anything out of out of 10, 20, 30, whatever it is and and what one 
uh, person says is, you know, their idea of perfection might be 25 out of 30. Mm -hmm. Another person, as you said, it might be 30 out of 30. So you've got to balance those, the generous markers with the uh, perhaps the more sort of parsimonious uh, assessors. Uh, and then you get that, then you get that sort of opinion. Then obviously that's when our, um, you know, we then sort of debate the feedback that's been given, don't we? We do. I mean, the the, the, the process, the assessment process, in terms of staff, we it's, it's continuous. We, we are lucky enough to travel all the time and visit mm. these courses throughout the two years. But we give the, the, in terms of the reader panel, we give the clubs a bit of time off. So it's really only sort of a window of about 14 months that the assessors go round. But we get uh, assessments coming back in all the time and we look at them very carefully and, and then we balance them and we take into account the, the time of year they've been, the conditions they, they've experienced and so on. So we, we really, really try and look at the whole picture. Mm, I think one of the things, you know, in an ideal world, you'd have a team of 20 panellists mm. doing nothing but going around playing these golf courses every And as we all know, that's just not a practical possibility. It's never going to happen. So within the, the knowledge that that is never going to happen, you have to try and make the thing as robust as possible. So you have to have this kind of moderating process that you know, wouldn't necessarily be necessary if everybody was playing every course every time. Well, we, you're absolutely right. We have to uh, also take into account that although our rankings we would like to think are the best, there are other people who want to send their assessors there too. So some of these top clubs do get it un inundated, not both legitimately, but by people trying to put a, a fast one as well. So yeah. uh, we, we, again, uh, work very closely with the clubs to try and ensure that they don't ever feel overburdened by our visits and to make sure that the whole thing is done fairly. And I think as well that we've always... Um, you know, sort of offered clubs the chance to have a look at the evaluation forms that come in. So it can be, you know, a genuine bit of feedback that they can discuss amongst, you know, whether it's with the course manager, the, um, you know, with, 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 the, with the committee as well and say, okay, well, you know, these are, in, you know, these are sort of independent reports. Is there anything we want to take on board? And I know that that feedback, that sort of two-way street is really important for us, Jez, isn't it? It is, absolutely, because um, we need to have a good relationship with the clubs to make the whole thing work. We are relying mm. on them to allow our assessors to go and play. So, But equally, I think you know a wise course manager or, or um, secretary club manager mm. would want to know if something wasn't seemed out of place yep. or wasn't quite as somebody might have expected for a course or club of that mm. calibre. So... You know, I, I think you know criticism never comes easily to people, does it? But no. I think that the the sensible ones want to hear good and bad, so they can improve things. And happily, um, the consistency of the reviews is such that we're able to give valid feedback. You know, it's it's not that one person thought the bunkers were particularly bad, or one person thought that the greens were the best in the world. We because we have a balanced view, we're able to give feedback to clubs. Um, if they if they wish it, that gives them a pretty legitimate sorry legitimate view of what people have thought when they've been there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, there you go. That's how uh, Golf Monthly's rankings have have evolved from since two thousand and four when we first debuted them with the top one hundred and twenty. We're gonna we're pretty happy with one hundred. We're gonna stick with that. Um, hope that's been of interest to you. If you didn't listen to episode one of our podcast when we talked about why golfers love rankings go back and have a listen to that um next time we'll be talking about a couple of the really hot debates that always uh you know are, are sort of stoked up whenever we um bring in a new set of rankings that sort of links versus inland and an old versus new so join us for for issue three of the uh, top 100 podcast 
All it leaves for me to say is thanks again to uh, Footjoy for their support of the Top 100 rankings and indeed their support of the podcast. Uh, we're really grateful to them for their uh, for their ongoing commitment sponsorship for our Top 100. Um, I'd say check out uh, Footjoy's website and also their social media channels. Uh, it's an interesting brand. Certainly if you thought that Footjoy just did uh, black and white saddle shoes, think again, they've got some some pretty funky shoes out for for the 2016 season. So um, support the guys who support us. Go and uh, check out Footjoy as well. Um, you can also follow all three of us on social media. It's not all about golf courses. Apologise in advance for any sort of rants. Um, that are not golf specific but me uh, I'm Mike Harris Golf uh, Jez is at Jez Elwood Golf and Rob uh, gives you an insight into uh, what he's interested in his his uh, Twitter handle is uh, at Rob Golf Beer um, there you go um, sorry so I've already left I've gone to the pub <laughs> <laughs> so there you go uh, from the podcast team it's goodbye for now goodbye Bye.